Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is episode 32. Yowzes! All right, if you're new to the podcast, thanks for joining us. Here's our drill. Don't take notes. I've taken your notes. Go to my website, Elizabeth R. Fuller, for all of the show notes. While you're there, check out my gorgeous photography. I'm a commercial and editorial photographer, and I specialize in food and product. I can help you grow your revenue with your business through my photography, and I can tell you how. Shoot me an email. If you have questions for the podcast, culinary sleuthing, dilemmas, cooking dilemmas, life dilemmas, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram. I love seeing them. I'll repost them at let's go on a food adventure. All right, you guys, let's go on a food adventure. All right, so how was everyone's weekend? Mine was pretty stellar, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I had um, a really, really, really fun weekend. I was able to go into Boston. So Todd and I live about 40 minutes west of the city now. And one of my sweet cousins moved to Boston this weekend. And so I had the honor and privilege of seeing her mom, my aunt, and my cousin And she's in her early 20s and she's going to have so much fun and just showing her around the city and how to get on and off the tee and where to go for work and all of that good stuff was so much fun and the weather's just been spectacular. And, you know, yesterday Todd and I had such great, lazy, easy Sunday, easy like a Sunday morning kind of day. And It was one of the best weekends I can honestly say I've had in a while. It was a busy weekend, but it was such a great weekend. And seeing my family, who I haven't seen in years, years, just felt so nice to reconnect with them and um, really looking forward to spending a lot of time with my cousin. And so anyway... I have been in full summer cooking mode though, and you guys have been asking a ton of questions, and I know we have a lot of themed episodes, and a lot of them have already been recorded, and you asked a lot of great questions with those episodes as well, but I have a backlog of questions that I'm trying to get to, so I figured today could be a fun bite-sized episode of your listener questions, themed with summer in mind, because let's keep it topical. And I'm going to do my best to help sleuth out a few answers for you. So let's dive into this. All right. Mike, Cheryl, and Danny from all over. And I'm just going to summarize this. Ask, do you use your Instapot in the summer? What are a few good recipes if you use it? You know, I do use the Instant Pot. I always say Instapot, but Instant hot in the summertime. I I do end up using it a lot more in the fall and winter and spring because in the summer I utilize the grill a ton and our smoker. And so for some reason that one just gets a little bit more on the back burner, but I still do use it and it's in heavy rotation because honestly it's such a time saver with a lot of things. So with the instant pot, you know, 
one of the things that I found myself making a lot this summer because our garden is just taking off is a ratatouille. And you can do like this gorgeous summer ratatouille super fast in it and then put it over like a creamy polenta. That would be delicious. The other thing I love to do is throw in like a couple of chicken breasts or a handful of hard boiled eggs and make like chicken salad or egg salad. And the other thing I love to do with hard boiled eggs is um, like a tuna niçoise toast. <gasps> There's an incredible Bon Appetit recipe that I will link in the show notes that I've made many times. Um, you can braise things in it really easily like a beer braised brisket. That's a, that's a tongue twister for you. How many times can you say that fast? I won't do it. I won't. Okay. Beer break. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that would be great. And it'd be great for a group. You can make, here's, here's a, here's a curveball for you. Here's a curveball. You could make a blueberry pecan cheesecake or any other type of cheesecake in an instant pot. You can also make, um, like molten chocolate cakes. I know there's other like desserty recipes, but the cheesecake I've done, and it actually, it's surprising how good it can come out. I have had one fail, but that was my own fault. But um, I'll link a recipe for that as well. You can roast a chicken, like rotisserie style roasted chicken in an instant pot. You can do carnitas, you could do pulled pork, and then pulled pork or carnitas afterwards. So like both are kind of similar, right? With they, I would say they could both start out the same where you've got like a Boston butt. Um, depending on the flavor profiles that you want to add to it, if you keep it more on the simple side where it's like some acid like from citrus, um, maybe a little cumin, salt and pepper, throw in a bay leaf, something really easy, right? Because you're going to flavor this a ton maybe after the fact. You cook the Boston butt or the picnic shoulder of the pig and in the Instant Pot with a little bit of stock. And then once it's done and you can shred it up, for the pulled pork part, you would take it out, shred it up, mix it with your favorite barbecue sauce, heat that maybe on the stove, and that's done. If it's going in the, if it's for carnitas, you're going to take it and like don't shred it completely. Shred it where there's still some chunks left to it. Bake that in the oven, like get it wicked crispy and hot. And that's going to get those gorgeous crispy bits that you want for carnitas. It's not super perfect or authentic carnitas, but it's damn good. And then afterwards, you could make, wait for it, a Cuban sandwich with this leftover pork. Oh, yum. So, you know, I mean, there's tons of different things you can do with an Instant Pot in the summer. And the best part about it is it doesn't heat up your kitchen, which we don't have sensual air. So anytime we don't heat up the kitchen is a bonus for yours truly. So I'll link a ton of recipes in the show notes for you guys. But yeah, fire up that Instant Pot, everybody. All right. Kristen in Portsmouth, New Hampshire writes, I've spent so long getting the crust for a pie right, and it really annoys me when the pie is runny. Fruit pies. What's better for a less runny pie? Tapioca starch or cornstarch? Oh, let's just settle this great debate right here and now, Kristen. So I think we need to get to, oh, this is so, I just thought of this, this is gonna be punny, to the bottom of this pie question for the bottom of the soggy pie. I guess it's not as punny as I thought it was going to be, but I'm still adorable. So 
Before we get into the thickening agent of the pie, I think there's a few things we can do to also help with the soggy bottom, as they would say on the British, I'm not British, on the, um, if you can't tell, the British baking show. I love that show. Um, and nobody likes a soggy bottom in any way. So you can blind bake a crust. You can make the bottom of the pie crust a little bit thicker. You can and you should place that pie on the bottom rack of the oven. The other pro tip that I've learned over the years is if you take a cookie sheet, put that in the oven while the oven's preheating, do all of your stuff for your pie, then place the pie tin on the hot cookie sheet. That's going to help. My other question, oh, I've got a few, but like what are you baking your pie in? Are you using a ceramic pie dish? Are you using a metal or cast iron or glass? Metal and cast iron are going to conduct heat better and it's going to get the pie crust crispier. Glass is going to be your next best one. That one you're going to cook a tiny bit longer, but you can also see the crust as it's getting golden brown on the bottom. Um, and then last but not least would be ceramic. So think about that. Cast iron is your friend when it comes to baking pie crust. I know it sounds odd, but it's true. Um, the other thing that you can do that I've done many times, especially with my galettes that I've been really, really, really into this summer, is put a thin layer of something on the bottom before you put the wet stuff in, whether it be the fruit whatever it is. So what I mean by that is like if it's a sweet pie, depending the flavor profiles in the pie, you could put a layer of some kind of crumbled cookie, um, some maybe almond flour or a layer of chocolate, a melted chocolate, just, just brush it on the bottom of the pie. The other thing you can do is um, breadcrumbs if it's more of a savory pie. Uh, okay. And then the great debate about tapioca starch or cornstarch both are going to do the same thing the idea is for example for cornstarch and I think tapioca starch I'm pretty sure it's a swap either way for four ounces of fruit you want one to two teaspoons of the starch here's the other thing you really want the pie to cool completely once it's out of the oven for it to set up properly if you don't, it probably will be runny because of the molecular structure of what cornstarch and tapioca starch do. They need to cool because they reach a point where it's like, think of the molecules as little balloons. And as they're expanding with the heat, at one point they kind of burst slightly and become this beautiful web of molecules throughout the, the filling that is just absorbing and sucking up all the moisture and water, which is why it gets more congealed. But then if it gets too hot, that structure breaks down and it begins to release all the water back into the filling. So what you need to let it do is once it comes out of the oven, let it cool completely. So I'm hoping this is going to help a little bit. And I mean, the other part of this whole thing, honestly, is getting some of the water out of the fruit, whether that be mixing it with a little bit of sugar ahead of time and then letting that sugar totally like leach some of the water and juices out and then drain that away. Um, 
with a hot filling. So say you're making a triple berry pie and you're making that triple berry filling and you're putting it on the stove with a little bit of sugar and you're mixing and mixing and mixing and the berries get all juicy and broken down and that's when you add in the cornstarch slurry or tapioca starch slurry. You can do it that way and that's gonna get it nice and thick ahead of time. When you blind bake the crust and the crust is warm and the filling's warm, add the warm filling to the warm crust and then put all of that back in the oven that's going to help. If it's a lattice, if it's a double pie where there's a crust on the bottom and a crust on top, just make sure there's a good vent hole, whether you use one of those cute little birds in the middle or you make a vent hole or even better, a lattice top. Because then some of the the, the filling and moisture is going to cook while it's in the oven as well. So I will link all of this stuff in the show notes. I hope this helps. Thank you for your question. I adore you, Kristen. All right. Barb in Florida asks, how do you cut a mango? All right. There's a few ways. So you can definitely watch a YouTube video on uh, how to do it where you, because in the, in the center of the mango, there's this big circular pit that you, it's not edible. And really, The part of the mango you want to eat is the gorgeous orange flesh on the inside of the mango for those out there who don't partake in eating mangoes. So that mango has a a easy soft skin that you can either peel away with a paring knife or you can peel away with a peeler of like vegetable peeler. You just need to make sure that you get all of it off because like I said, it doesn't taste, the skin doesn't taste very good and go for that gorgeous deep colored orangey, yellowy, goldeny flesh on the inside. So you can slice the mango where you take it and you slice uh, one half off and you slice the other half off and then you've got just the pit in the middle. You'll feel your knife hit it when you hit the pit, the pit. And the other thing I like to do when I do this is I will slice just a tiny bit of the bottom off because there's no flat bottom on a, on a mango. So you want to stand it upright like an egg, slice the very bottom off, put that down. So now you have a flat surface to work on. Take your knife, run it through almost the center and you'll feel it bunt up against the the pit. Kind of roll your knife around it, slice straight down. Do the same thing on the other side. And this is if the skin's still on, you can watch the YouTube video. I will link one. You can take it and slide the cut side of the mango on the inside of a glass and the mango should come off from the skin. If you want to do that, go for it that way. The way I always do it is I take a paring knife, peel off the skin with the paring knife, cut it like I just described and then eat it. (laughs) So those are the two ways that I've done it, but I can link um, a how-to in the show notes. I hope this helps. And hey, freeze that mango, put it in a smoothie, put it in some mango salsa, eat it just as a snack with a little bit, even if you want to go south of the border, little lime and a little chili salt. Woo-hoo, man, oh man. It's so good. I love mango. All right. Jessica from Instagram asks, What's a good, easy summer dessert for a group of people that would include kids? All right, now we can, I love, I love dessert. So I love this question. We could talk about like, make your own ice cream sundae bar. 
you could make some homemade paletas you could do with your fancy fun fun popsicles um it's a spanish word for popsicle it's they're so good they're so good and they're usually like beautiful chunks of fruit and oh my gosh i love them um but you know you can make a trifle you can make a lot of things but what i'm really into right now simple let's talk about s'mores let's kick our s'more game up a notch you know there's the graham cracker the chocolate and the marshmallow version but what if just saying you made your own marshmallows and like flavored them. You can make like a strawberry one, a raspberry one. And all you need to do is get the flavor from, you know, the, the flavors they put in coffee, those little syrupy flavor numbers, couple of, a little bit of that mixed in with the marshmallow, super easy to make. And I will link a really good marshmallow recipe. So if that's not your jam and you're like, I need something even simpler, I don't want to go to that length. I don't blame you. Get fun chocolate bars. Get those either like Ghirardelli, Ghirardelli, Ghirardelli. I'm pronouncing that wrong and I apologize. Squares and they're filled with different things, whether it's like mint, raspberry, caramel, sea salt caramel, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, whatever. And they're a great size for the graham cracker bottom. Regular marshmallow. There, done. Or you can get funky chocolate, like we have this incredible company near here called Taza, and it's this gorgeous stone ground chocolate with a bunch of different flavors, and they have really cool, fun bars. Look at the chocolate bar first. That would be the easiest way to enhance your s'more game. Then, if you're like, let's kick it up a notch even more, you could have fun extras that people could drizzle hot fudge on it. They could drizzle caramel on it. They could drizzle maybe like a fun jam if you wanted to do like a chocolate strawberry jam marshmallow moment. Um, And then look at the base. Like does it need to be a graham cracker? Could it be two Oreos? Could it be it would probably be a mess if it was Oreos. Graham crackers offer the most amount of surface to marshmallow and chocolateness which I dig. So I would also look down the cookie aisle and see if there was another cookie that might work. And here, I know this is going to sound crazy. This is going to sound crazy, but just go with me on this one for a second. What if you used a like buttery, salty cracker of some kind? Just saying. I'm a salty sweet gal. So I'm always looking for a way because I think salt makes sweet even better. Just saying. So think about it. The world is your s'mores oyster. Don't just go with the norm. The great old standby is fine, but like step it up. Step it up. Come on. Come on, people. Okay, s'mores rant over. Taylor from Instagram asks, I know everyone is grilling right now, but we just got our first house and bought our first gas grill. Congratulations. A lot of food is sticking to the grill, and I have to be honest, I thought it would be a lot easier to grill than it actually is. Do you have any tips when it comes to grilling? Okay, so we do have some tips. And, you know, I agree with you that grilling does look easier than it actually is but it is pretty easy and the the reason I love grilling is because it's minimal cleanup in my kitchen 
which is awesome. So I think the first, and thank you for saying you have a gas grill that makes this a little easier, but I think this, some of this stuff would apply to all grills. So with a gas grill, what I like to do with mine is I turn the burners on. I first lift up the lid, turn the burners on, put the lid back down and let that puppy get hot, roaring hot. While that's happening, whatever you're about to grill, if it's a protein in particular, say it's chicken, beef, uh, pork, anything like that, even fish, more chicken, beef, and pork. You want to pull out about 30 minutes prior to when you're going to grill it. Fish, you can pull out, you know, maybe 15 minutes before you want to grill it and just put it on your kitchen countertop. You want it to get to um, not, you know, fully room temperature or you can get it to room temperature. But the point is to make sure that the meat and protein is grilled evenly throughout and the cooking process happens evenly, it's good to get it to a stable room-ish temperature. So then I go back outside. I will take a metal wire brush and scrape off everything on the grill to make sure that there's nothing that the protein could possibly stick to. The other thing you can do, which we do too as well, which yeah, I don't know if chemicals aren't your thing, that's totally fine. But we love to use a cooking spray, a high heat cooking spray. So that would be a special one. We like to use special ones that were made for the grill. And we will spray the grill and we will spray the meat with or the protein with a teeny tiny bit of cooking spray. And let me tell you, it saves so much headaches when it comes to things sticking. The other thing I read that you could do, which I've never tried, but would be interesting to see if it really worked, was taking a cut potato and rubbing a cut potato all over your grill. If you try this and it works, let me know. Or if you try and it doesn't work, let me know. There's something about a potato that, <laughs> that I guess once it heats up enough, becomes a nonstick service. I would I would like to know if anyone's ever tried this. Um, other things that are your friends when it comes to grilling, meat, thermo meat thermometers. I've mentioned how much we love ours and use it constantly. Even with Todd being an executive chef and myself being, I would dare I say, a very experienced home chef, um, a meat thermometer is a very small investment that will save you a lot of headaches and whoopsies of cooking and cutting after the fact, you know, like cutting open the steak and being like, oh, it's overdone or oh, it's not done enough. Um, that and then when you're cooking on your grill, whether this be a gas grill, a charcoal grill, I'm sure there's other kinds of grills out there that I'm just not thinking of at the moment that you want to create heat zones on your grill. So certain parts of the grill you can get like super fiery hot and then other parts of the grill, whether it be a rack above, maybe you turn down a little bit of the grill on other parts, like maybe the right side, you keep a little bit cooler. You want to be able to like cook the meat. The, the whole point of grilling isn't to rapidly cook the meat. It's not low and slow like in a slow cooker or smoker, but there is a technique to it to ensure that the meat stays or protein stays juicy and doesn't get overcooked, but also gets cooked properly. And juice is great 
because it means flavor and you want flavor in your meat. So one, don't squish down your protein. Don't, don't squish the burger. Don't squish the chicken. Don't squish anything. Be gentle with that because as, and I know like aesthetically it looks pretty when the flames like lap up on top of the burger or, or whatever. A little bit of char is great, but no one wants to eat something that looks like a hockey puck, number one. And number two, the more you squish and the more juices you release down, the more you're losing flavor. That stinks. Don't do that. So be gentle with your proteins. And then once they're done, let them rest for at least 10 minutes, at least. And like when you're they're resting, carryover cooking is a real thing. It will... As your proteins are resting, they'll probably, their internal temperature will probably be raised at least by five degrees. If you tent it, it'll be raised even more. And by tenting it, I mean with like a little bit of tin foil on top. So keep that in mind when you're pulling your meat off or proteins off the grill and be gentle with yourself. This is super fun. And I guarantee the more you do it, even after a couple of times, you're really going to get the hang of this. So don't stop, Taylor. I have faith in you. You can grill and you got this. Okay, last question. And this one I got asked a ton and I've been asked this question more than, and I feel like I've answered this a handful of times, but I dug deeper. I dug deeper. So I'm summarizing. Kamal, Ashley, Amy, and Donna from all over all basically said, we have too many tomatoes. We have tomatoes from our gardens, from our CSAs, and what can we make that's different from red sauce? So I did a deep dive for you guys on this, and I too have a ton of tomatoes, and I just recently, in addition to all the the tomatoes from our garden that I have, I also have tomatoes that I keep buying from the different farmer's markets all over the area because... They look so pretty and they taste so good. So personally, I've been doing like different types of tomato tarts, tartatons, galettes, which is basically just like a fun buttery pie crust in a free form fashion with beautiful tomatoes. Um, and I've had a lot of success with all of the above. And the key with doing anything, as I mentioned earlier in the pie crust, in the in the soggy pie, fruit pie, Kristen question, was is that with the galette, the, the tomato tart tatan, or the, um, I also did like something with a tomato puff pastry number that was delicious. Every single one of those, I made sure to put a layer of cheese down before I put the tomatoes on. And I also tried to take a little bit of the seededness out of the tomatoes. So it would reduce the amount of liquid that needed to be baked off. And all three things that I've made have all come out really, really good with crispy bottoms, no soggy bottoms. And the cheese varied, whether it be like um, Parmigiano-Reggiano, Pecorino-Romano. I think one time I used a little bit of super sharp Cabot cheddar. Um, Just depended on what the flavor profile was that I was going for. But that's a really fun way to do a dinner and a big great green salad after, you know, with it. Or maybe even a chilled soup. So more things beyond just red sauce. Okay, so what about 
a roasted. So I the other day I bought a ton of these gorgeous different colored cherry tomatoes. Made the made this puff pastry number with the tomatoes, and then I was like, "What else can I do with these?" Hmm. So I roasted them. I roasted them with a little bit of herbs from the garden. I had some chives, a little fresh basil, a garlic clove I put on there, and I just put down parchment paper, put everything on, olive oil, sprinkle of salt and pepper, put it in the oven, roasted it. They burst and they like made this beautiful, almost concentrated, juicy, lacquery number on the parchment paper. I was like, well, I could, I could make sauce out of this or I could take some of these and make a roasted tomato vinaigrette out of this. You better believe I did that, and you better believe it was delicious. So I'll link that recipe in the show notes. What about taking some of those same roasted tomatoes and using them in like a tomato risotto? Or if you, instead of roasting them, had big boys, and you did kind of like a riff on a caprese salad, but did grilled halloumi instead? (gasps) That sounds really good. And I love halloumi. Who doesn't like halloumi? Grilling cheese? Yum. The other day, I also got Thai food because I was sick of cooking. I know it does happen. <laughs> it really does happen. We there, there are many times during the week where cooking for a living and doing photos and videos for a living for different companies, it gets to the point where I'm like, I don't want to cook anymore. I have hit a wall with cooking for myself and I am going to now get takeout. Um, So I ordered this Thai cold salad and it was so good. It had this really beautiful herby, fragrant, spicy dressing on it, but huge hunks of tomato and cucumber and peanuts and these fresh herbs, and it had like a tiny bit of sweetness to it too. Oh my gosh. So doing something like that, and I can find a recipe for you for that. And then, you know, there's always things that go well with tomatoes, like watermelon. Watermelon and tomatoes go really well together. So if you were to make a, some kind of, again, chunky panzanella-y kind of salad with tomatoes and maybe, you know, big hunks of stale bread that you have lying around from something you made the other day. Or maybe it's like bruschetta bread that you already had grilled and cut up. And then so you take your funky salad and it's nice and chunky and delish and you make like a watermelon vinaigrette with it and then toss all that together. That sounds so good. So good. Or last but not least... Make a BLT. (laughs) I love BLTs. I think they're so good. Oh, or you know what the other thing is that my, one of my best friends, Marissa, she used to have it in Italy. And I've mentioned this before, and I think she's even mentioned it before. But you take a big tomato, hollow it out, like cut the top off, hollow it out. So now you have like a tomato cup and then fill it with your favorite thing. Maybe it's like tuna salad. Maybe it's egg salad. Maybe it's chicken salad. And if it's tuna salad, I dare you to instead of getting the tuna in water spring spring for the little more expensive one it's in olive oil and if you can afford it it's in a glass jar not a can and it is so good so good you don't have to rinse it just pull it out of the jar chop it up put it in Put it in a little bowl, put in like some shallot. You could put in some, you could put a dab of mayo in if you want. I would just put in a little extra of your favorite olive oil, maybe a splash of like 
sherry vinegar, and whatever else tickles your fancy. If it's like a little chopped cucumber, a little chopped celery, some fresh herbs, maybe you have parsley or chive lying around. Maybe there's some lemon zest up in that. Mixy, mixy, put it back in that tomato and you just made lunch or dinner or whatever with like a light arugula salad. Hello, how you doing? Just saying. I keep saying, just saying. I guess that's the the phrase this week. I do like a good phrase, don't I, people? I know. I know. Anyway, so I hope this helps. I'm going to link some recipes in the show notes. All right, you guys. That's it. Thank you for all of your questions. Keep them coming in. Everything will be linked in the show notes, the recipes, a few more tips and tricks. You can see everything on my website at elizabethrfuller.com. And if you have any questions for the podcast, culinary sleuthing, or need some help in life, I have you. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. Thank you guys so much for listening. It means the world. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Make some yummy food together and lead with kindness wherever you go and whatever you do. I'll see you next Friday. Bye.